Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, November 13th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We get the mayor's thoughts on the new restrictions announced yesterday by the province in an attempt to flatten the curve. Could the rising COVID-19 cases in Alberta cause a collapse in Alberta's ICU system? We speak with a University of Alberta professor and former intensive care physician who has concerns. Next, we look at the ongoing saga of the U.S. election. We talk about the steps ahead for President-elect Joe Biden as Donald Trump refuses to concede. We're joined by Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington correspondent. Then we flip through the pages of a new read focused on the many hidden gems our city has to offer. We speak to the author of 111 Places in Calgary That You Must Not Miss. And finally, it's totally awesome. We take a trip back in time with our weekly Flashback Friday series. Buckle up. This week we travel to the land of big hair, fluorescent clothing, and music videos. The 1980s. 812 now, and uh, with COVID-19 cases continuing to rise in Calgary, new restrictions put in place for our city last night to try and get those numbers under control. So we will uh, get his thoughts as we catch up with Mayor Nahed Nenshi this morning. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. I don't think I've ever been introduced with Don't Worry, Be Happy before. <laughs> well, maybe it's your new theme song. Maybe you ought to think <laughs> about that. Hey, we are, it's Flashback Friday for us, right? So we're flashing back to the 80s. So just uh, before we get to the serious stuff, uh, fondness, do you, what do you remember about the 80s music, fashion, what is it? Oh, I am a child of the 80s, let <laughs> me tell you. But uh, I do remember uh, just before school started one year, I went to this very hip clothing store in Marlboro Mall and bought myself a couple of pairs of parachute pants. Yes. With zippers on the side. Yes. Contrasting color and an orange muscle shirt. <laughs> and I never, ever wore them to school. I was never brave enough. <laughs> Mayor MC Nenshi. Yeah. Very much oh, so. Gosh, I had the same pants. We're, we're the same age, Mayor, I think. And, uh, but, you know, at the time, felt so cool. Nobody can take that away from us. Very, very true. Except, like I say, I would only wear them at home. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, we have to we have to get into the serious stuff, and and we want to get your thoughts, uh, Mr. Mayor, about the announcement by the provincial government, the new restrictions in place. We're you know seeing both sides, seeing okay, well, Jason Kenney did this to preserve the economy, and then the other folks saying it's just not enough. What do you think of the new restrictions? Well, you know, I appreciate the fact that they exist. I appreciate the change in tone from the premier, uh, where he's now saying look, if we don't get serious, lockdowns will happen, which is very different than what he said just a few days ago where he said, you know, lockdowns won't happen at all. And and can we just all step back for a second and appreciate the irony of the fact that he himself is in self-isolation mm-hmm. again? Yep. Um, you know, um, having perhaps not taken this as seriously as he might uh, over the last few weeks. So I was happy to see that. I have to say that the restrictions seem a bit random to me. Casinos, okay. Kids sports, not okay. Um, And the challenge that we really have, and something I have a lot of sympathy for him for, is that we're now seeing two-thirds of the cases. We don't know where they came from. So without that really effective contact tracing, uh, we're kind of shooting in the dark here and making best guesses at where these things might be coming from. You know, I know he's getting a lot of flack about the kids sports, for example. And I wish he had said what I think he meant, which is, In order for us to keep the schools open, where we're seeing some real outbreaks in schools, we got to make sure that the transmission of virus into the schools slows down. So we're trying to clear out the schools by getting the kids a little more restricted for a couple of weeks, which, you know, would make sense if that is, in fact, his rationale. But you're right. That wasn't said. Yeah. Nonetheless, as I've always said, 
this is up to every one of us. You know, we can't wait for government to do the right thing here. We've got to start doing the right thing ourselves. The three things I always say, wash your hands, keep your distance, wear a mask. But I'm going to add, start to collapse your bubble now. You know, for the next little while, uh, if they don't live in your house, they shouldn't be in your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, really start to restrict your activities Do that clear head thing where every decision you make, you go, is this the right thing to do or should I delay this or should I do it differently, at least for the next few weeks to try and flatten this curve. And keep the young people yeah. in our lives. We need to speak to the young folks in our lives to make sure that they understand that despite the fact they may think they're immune and never going to get sick, that they are you know, part of the problem here. And we need to keep young people from gathering and hanging out and partying. And I know it's difficult, but it's something we have to do. And they are going to get sick. And, you know, even if you don't, people just look at the death rate, right? Which is still, you know, people go, oh, it's only a one or two percent death rate. That's a lot of people. It <laughs> is. It if is. Everyone in Alberta gets this. Yeah. You know, one point, what do we have? Four million people. It's 40,000 deaths. We don't want that. But it's not just about the deaths. It's about lingering effects forever, right? When you get chickenpox, you know, 20 years later, you're going to get shingles. Uh, these are the sorts of things, and that's not quite right, but you get my point. Yeah, there, there are lingering long effects that we know of and that we don't even know of. Yeah. And there's ones we don't know of, and you're going to spread it. Also, yeah. you're still going to get pretty sick. And who wants to be sick for a week or 14 days? Mm-hmm. You know, we want to try to avoid all of this, but I have to highlight again, it's not about the economy or public health. I don't like that dichotomy because if you don't have the public health, if we end up in pure outbreak stage, the economy is going to collapse. It's what happened in Sweden, for example, and uh, in New York and Italy. So we've got to maintain the public health in order to preserve the economy. And I think that piece has been missing. It's not a one size fits all. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Mayor. Thank you all. Safe weekend, everybody. And yes, please get out to step a bus at your Calgary co-ops with Calgary Transit tomorrow. Good stuff. Thanks for your message. We'll be talking about that coming up. That is, and mm-hmm. uh, we are, we're going to be talking about that coming up just mm-hmm. before nine o'clock. Thanks so much. Uh, that is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. 8.43 now, and there are big concerns that Alberta's ICU system is in danger as COVID-19 cases continue to rise in Calgary and around the province. Joining us to discuss concerns is Dr. Noel Gibney, a critical care professor at the University of Alberta and a former intensive care physician. Good morning, doctor. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning. How are you? Uh, good, thank you. So, I mean, let's talk about this. We, we've heard the numbers are climbing. We've got new restrictions put in place. Where are we sitting in terms of ICU numbers and, and how full they are getting? I haven't seen today's numbers, but uh, as of yesterday afternoon, we had 51 COVID patients in the ICUs across the province. Uh, of those, uh, the majority were in Edmonton, but also with a substantial number in Calgary. Uh, the province had set aside uh, 70 ICU beds as the uh, the number that was thought to possibly be needed. And the plan was to introduce significant restrictions when we hit 50% of those. And, that's, uh, and then it was quite some time after that that uh, the Premier put in those new restrictions yesterday. The, the problem is that although we haven't reached the 70 ICU beds for covid all the ICU beds in the province are full. Uh, and that's because the, the, the normal patients that come to the ICUs with uh, various traumas after cardiac surgery, after strokes, etc., et um, they're still there. And 
the, the COVID patients, we uh, are, are now coming in on top of those. And so the, the, the inevitable result is that the cardiac surgeries, the brain surgeries, they're going to be postponed in order to make room for, for the COVID patients. We're in a, even before COVID, we're in a, a, a somewhat difficult position in Alberta because our ICU bed capacity is approximately half that of Ontario and approximately a third that of places like uh, Germany and the United States. So we're, we're kind of behind the eight ball to start all of this. So if, uh, I mean, obviously it's, it's probably difficult to forecast something like this, but if the increases continue at the rate they have been, how much longer can the ICU uh, departments uh, take it? Well, there are uh, what are called surge plans where new ICU-capable beds will be developed in, in other areas, such as in operating room recovery rooms and potentially in some other medical surgical wards. Um, we have enough ventilators, we have enough physiological monitors to have a significant surge. The problem at the moment, though, is that the uh, ICUs, one of the biggest problems apart from the number of patients, is the number of staff that we have. Many staff uh, are off sick with COVID, and for every one of those that's off sick, there's probably five or six others that are on self-isolation. And so the, the, the staff that are healthy and able to come in, not on isolation, um, are now being asked to do very long shifts. Sometimes, instead of the usual 12-hour shift, they're being asked sometimes to do 18-hour shifts. Yeah. So the, the, the existing staff are rapidly burning out, and um, it's, it's unclear how they're going to be able to surge. The, the plan would be to use non-ICU uh, nurses, respiratory therapists, doctors. The, the problem is that they haven't the necessary experience or, or training to manage a critically ill patient on a ventilator who requires special support for their blood pressure or a kidney machine if their kidneys aren't working as a consequence of COVID. Doctor, I hate to ask you a, a yes or no answer, but yes or no, d- does the province need to really clamp down and put far uh, more strict restrictions in place for us to stop this? I, I certainly believe that. I mean, I, I was pleased that the Premier put some restrictions in yesterday, but, but frankly, they, 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 were, they simply were not enough. Well, you know, we appreciate your time mm-hmm. and your thoughts uh, this morning, Doctor. Thank you very much. That is Dr. Noel Gibney, a U of A critical care professor and former intensive care physician. 709 and a cloud of confusion still over the now complete U.S. election or virtually complete. Donald Trump still refusing to concede. Some recounts may still yet be done, but uh, we still have uh, cases of COVID-19 continuing to climb in the U.S. as well. With all that, we're checking in this morning with Global News correspondent Jennifer Johnson for an update. Good morning, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Lots to unpack here, that's for sure. The U.S. reporting, let's start with COVID, over 150,000 new coronavirus cases just yesterday, an alarming record and trend in the U.S. over the past few days. 
Well, you're right. It is an alarming trend and an alarming record. We've broken record seven of the last nine days. But the last nine days, we've had over 100,000 new cases of COVID-19. And things are really just spiraling out of control. State, uh, there's uh, cases increasing in over 45 states. I believe the tally right now is 46 states. Um, and, you know, the medical professionals are just sounding the alarm. Stop the even the small gatherings, the the small dinner parties, the game nights, the small birthday parties. Um, just everybody stay home. In Chicago, they've actually made a 30-day stay-at-home order. The, uh, the mayor there just begging people not to go out of state, um, not to travel, not to go into restaurants even, just to stay home to try to get this under control. But things are... You know, at really out of control, so out of control in some states. And in North Dakota, for example, nurses are in such short supply that those who are testing positive but are asymptomatic for COVID-19 are being asked to come to work. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just a mess again. It's worse than they've ever seen. And they think November uh, is, is maybe the worst month, although we're fearing December could be. Is it, to, you know, the, you mentioned that one extreme case with the nurses. But is it a case that hospital capacity in the majority of these states with these high numbers is, is being impacted? Oh, yeah. Hospitalizations are up all over the United States. I think 66,000, uh, over 66,000 Americans were in the hospital yesterday with COVID-19. And, and that's the biggest concern. You know, people talk about, oh, it's just the flu and you get a little sick and you might be sick for a week. But the problem is the hospitals get overwhelmed and then they can't take in other patients and there's not ICU beds. And that's happening in states across the country. And that was, yeah, I live in the state of Maryland right outside DC. And that was a major concern last March and April because you can't keep taking in that many people into a hospital. You simply don't have mm-hmm. the staff, you don't have the equipment, and you don't have the ICU beds. And so that's why governors really sound the alarm when they start seeing this. And they've definitely seen it, particularly in the Midwest, uh, Utah, um, North Dakota, South Dakota, several states in the Midwest, the hospitals are completely overwhelmed. Let's talk uh, still about COVID with the the different perspectives from the two leaders, Donald Trump. I don't know that we've heard anything from him really over the past few days and certainly not about COVID where President-elect Joe Biden is talking about what he would do and will do when he finally does come to power in January, but very different perspectives. Well, you're absolutely right. President Trump has said nothing about COVID in the past nine days when we've broken record after record. And even after the election, he hasn't said anything about COVID. Um, Vice, I mean, President-elect, I'm going to get used to saying that. Mm -hmm. uh, President-elect Joe Biden, I'm so used to calling him vice president. (laughs) Um, He has talked about it every day. He has a new coronavirus task force. He is appointed. They are meeting daily. He is getting briefings from that group daily. He has said that he will put a mandatory mask mandate for the country in effect upon uh, Inauguration Day. Um, but apparently the White House Coronavirus Task Force, we did see pictures of this, did have a meeting yesterday. Um, but uh, the president did not give any kind of briefing as he did throughout the pandemic prior to the election. And that was a meeting that they had um, after not meeting for at least a month. And I think it's longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, nothing coming out, coming out of President Trump and, and daily briefings for President-elect Joe Biden. Yeah, President-elect Joe Biden says, uh, you know, that he's can 
he can uh, do what he can in the in the uh, behind the scenes to get prepared for January twentieth. He is doing the work, uh, you know, that oh, he believes will prepare him, and he has experience, obviously, as a vice president. But we're wondering, with uh, President Donald Trump still refusing to concede, how important is that? And we've heard a ton about uh, national security as we move into this transition, and uh, how much of a concern is that in in, in real terms? Well, I have to tell you, I've, I've covered, this will be my fifth administration that I've covered in Washington. And to say I, I've never seen anything like this is an understatement. Hmm. We, every president starts getting national security briefings upon becoming the president-elect. I, I said that sort of backwards. Every president-elect uh, gets national security briefings before becoming president. That's the correct way of saying it. Um, and this hasn't happened. He is not, uh, Joe Biden is not getting the daily national security briefings. And these are high intelligence briefings. These are, this is a threat to America. This is what's going on. He's not getting these. And this is a first for America because President Trump refuses to concede the election. Now, there are rumblings among the Republican Party, uh, particularly with senators that are saying he needs to get these intelligence briefings, Joe Biden needs to get these. And if he's not going to get them from the White House, then we, we, the Senate Intelligence Committee, is going to start briefing him. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But you do have a president who's not conceding an election. And therefore, there's a lot of things that aren't happening among the national security briefings. But there's usually, this is usually the time where um, agencies start talking to people from the president-elect's camp about the transition. And that's not happening either. It, it's, so it's, it's crazy. It's a really strange time. It's it, really, I'm glad you said it. It really is. It's, it's nuts. And, and it's, yet we heard yesterday, Jennifer, that you know top U.S. government officials declaring this election the most secure in history, saying no sign of any voting system compromised and, and certainly no widespread fraud at all in this. At all. And this, and people have to understand, this is the Department of Homeland Security who took a look at this election, everything from foreign interference to internal cybersecurity to voter fraud. This is Donald Trump's Department of National Security saying this was the safest election and the cleanest election in U.S. history. And yet still, he will not concede. So I... Try not to use the word crazy, but I'm going to go with your word. Mm -hmm. It is crazy. I mean, you look at this every day and you go, I don't, I just don't understand it. He's waiting for a recount in Georgia. There is not an elections official that we can find um, that is saying that this election is going to be overturned. There's certain, there just aren't the votes that have, quote, disappeared or going to be, you know, miraculously found. They don't exist. And so this is a done deal. And what's ironic about this election was the margins that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in 2016 are almost exactly the same as how Joe Biden has beaten Donald Trump. And Hillary Clinton conceded the following morning of Election Day. Mm -hmm. So here we are. I don't even know what day. I keep calling it Groundhog Day. I don't know what day it is at this point. But, you know, he still won't concede. And it is crazy. And, and you know, Joe Biden, he's just he's just sticking in his lane, staying the course, you know, getting the briefings he can get and, you know, dealing with the officials, the, the experts that he has in his camp. And he's moving forward and he's staying above it all.
It's certainly interesting to watch on this side of the border, for sure, Jennifer. So we appreciate <laughs> it. It's a must-see TV. We appreciate your time. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you. That is uh, Jennifer Johnson, Global News Correspondent. 910 now and a new guidebook for locals 111 places in calgary that you must not miss features the most fascinating unusual and little known places around the city author jennifer bain joins us now with more good morning jennifer good morning sue thanks so much for joining us okay 111 you couldn't narrow it down to like 110 (laughs) or (laughs) i love the title well you know what it's it's um a german publisher based in cologne and in cologne the number 11 is extremely lucky they have a carnival season that kicks off november 11th at 11 11 a.m and so they picked that number, but obviously 11 is not enough, so they added an extra one. That's how they got to 111. Well, how, how did you come up with this, and, and why? Are you, are you just a, a proud Calgarian who's discovered a whole lot going on around the city? Uh, you know what? My first job out of university was at the Calgary Herald, and I ended up marrying an Albertan. And so although I don't live uh, currently in Alberta, I feel like I'm an honorary Albertan. And... Um, between 2018 and 2020, when I was researching this book, I just made, you know, half a dozen or more research trips to the city and just dove in super deep on it. Well, you know what? You've got to delve deep because I think that we've been kind of branded, excuse the pun, with <laughs> just, you know, the stampede, maybe the Calgary Tower. There's a few key items that every tourist must see, but this uh, takes you much deeper. So how did you find these uh, different little hidden gems, if you will. Did you talk to locals or did you just, uh, you know, uh, walk on through the city and pick these things out? You know what? A lot of it was just things I found um, in researching and wandering around places and Googling, talking to locals. Um, You know, I was walking downtown by the new library and looked down and saw these incredible um, uh, uh, storm, uh, what do you call it, manhole covers. Um, they were artistic. They were sort of a, sort of a storm, a Calgary storm water scene. And from that, you know, you sort of Google, why does Calgary have interesting manhole covers? And you find out that the city has a man, manhole cover design project and that every year out of the 2,000 covers that they replace, they earmark a certain number of them for artists. And, you know, after that, you wander around Stampede Park and you, you look down. You know, I always look down now where, wherever I'm going and, you know, you admire that Calgary, the Calgary Stampede actually had its own uh, manhole cover made at one point. I love it. I mean, you've got maps, you've got tips, you've got all kinds of stuff going on in this book. And, uh, you know, I just I think that it, it would appeal to everybody, whether you're able to get out to all 111 of these uh, these places or things to do. There's just fun history there to look at as well. There's a lot of incredible history in the city, and, and there's all kinds of things that, that people might have seen and noticed and, and, you know, forgotten or not even really known the whole story behind. So, you know, I didn't live in Calgary at the time that the Chinook Center had a famous carousel of horses that, that people knew and loved that got displaced, and people may have lost track of it, but it found a new home at Spruce Meadows. And so I went and saw it at Spruce Meadows, but I also got to talk to uh, Cochrane artist Arna Lucas, who was hired um, to sort of repaint them and spruce them up and and modernize them. 
and he's the one that, that, you know, pointed out to me that within these horses, 10 of them are actually painted as the provinces, and each one has a hidden gray mouse on it. So, oh. you know, the next, time, the next time you or your kids go on the carousel, you know, you'll look at it in a different way. I, you know what, I uh, totally remember. It wasn't that long ago they made way to move the carousel so they could have the walkway at Chinook Center. That's right. But I had no idea where the carousel ended up. I don't know how I missed that, but now, I, now <laughs> I've learned something, Jennifer. And, and you'd also, you know, looking at places that might not exist anymore, but talking about history, for example, like the Caesar cocktail that was invented here. Yes, I mean, there's, there's two things that Calgary's really known for. One is inventing the Caesar cocktail, and the other is ginger beef. And, you know, whether, whether other Canadians realize that until now, um, it, it's good for you to toot your own horn on that. And eat and drink those two things together at <laughs> any point. And eat and drink them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. it's, it's funny because we're doing a, a Flashback Friday show today and people are remembering, uh, you know, great things from the 80s that happened here in Calgary, particularly a lot of the memories. And, and this is just, a, you know, kind of the, the, the cherry on top of that because this is a great way to go back and remember just some of the awesome things that we're known for or, you know, maybe we've just kind of forgotten how great the city is because of. For sure. Here's here's a great one. Um, the Home and Away Sports Bar, which is at 1207 First Street Southwest. Again, it predates my time, but between 1970 and 1972, it was the first underground gay club called Club Carousel. And it was named um, after this brand of paint and painted in the circus style. Mm-hmm. And in the sort of the back of the basement, they still have a little bit of that fun yellow and red paint on it. But as well, this very same address in 1963 was a coffee house where Joni Mitchell played her her first gig. Cool. Incredible. Mm-hmm. So is this uh, something that, you know, would be good to send to somebody who's planning to move to Calgary or travel? Or is it uh, something that would be a good coffee table book? Um, this book is actually the series, which started in 2008 in Germany and has more than 500 titles. It's actually aimed at locals. So it's, it kind of predated COVID, but it's very COVID-friendly because the primary market is getting people to know and understand and explore their own cities. And so, you know, this book actually is, is it's, it's available for pre-order now, but it comes out, I believe, around November 24th, and it's totally positioned, obviously, for the holiday market. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I, I want to see it in stocking stuffers. and and all of that sort of stuff. I love it, Jennifer. I see it on Amazon, uh, but I'm assuming some of the uh, bookstores here in the city will hopefully have it, yes? Is that the plan? I I personally emailed uh, the indie bookstores this week just to give them a heads up that they're able to order it. Um, And certainly it's available through any of the Indigo um, bookstores. But, you know, it it has an ISBN number, so you can go to any bookstore and ask them to order it for you. Fantastic. Sounds great, Jennifer. Thanks so much for your time this morning. All right, fun to talk to you guys. Thank you. You too. That is Jennifer Bain, author of 111 Places in Calgary that you must not miss. 6.50 on your Friday morning. It is Flashback Friday, and we obviously, if you just heard any of that, are flashing back to the 80s. Andrew Schultz, Sue DL here with you, and by far my favorite decade of music, Andy, the 80s. Flashback Friday. Oh, brings you back. It's brought to you by Fair Play Wild Bird Center, and I want to mention that the big, uh, the Mount Rushmore kind of of, of uh, you know popular music, Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, mm. Prince, 
Michael Jackson, and uh, it's crazy how many we've lost over the you know, years. And, so and look, from like that Whitney era. Houston, for example, and yeah. obviously Michael Jackson and Prince. But also, I want to, I want to, you know, go a little more niche here, Sue, because we were the first generation. I know it's still on, but much music isn't much music anymore. Oh, uh, it's not the we, same. We no. watched videos. We remember our favorite VJs. It was so good that we watched, and you felt like you knew them. And it, here was it was a new type of TV for us that we had younger folks. Um, talking to us kind of without a script, real pop culture, and we'd wait for our favorite videos. But some of the Canadiana, do you remember like uh, Mitsu with Bye Bye Mon Cowboy? Yes. Oui, and, oui, I do. And uh, Boot Sauce and Larry Gowan. Well, you just went by Gowan back then. Uh, but, you know, we had our great. own music, So many too. great memories for your life. Yes. Uh, and I remember like even some of the early hip-hop in the Canadiana, like uh, – MC Kish, uh, 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 I rhymed the world in eighty days. I rhymed the world in eighty days. Name of that I don't song. Remember that one? No, no. There were so many, and um, just so many hidden gems. And of course, they were pushed on us because it was CanCon, right? So we we but, heard these eighties artists. But some of it was really good. Frozen too. Ghost. Remember yes. Frozen Ghost? And you know, you say VJs. I remember Erica M was one of the original VJs, and she has a podcast and and is all over Twitter. I I, oh. I keep up with her regularly, and she just did a podcast where she spoke to and interviewed all. The original much music VJs. So maybe that's something you want to check out if you're into that. Didn't you feel like you knew these people? Totally. <laughs> it, it was a different time, right? It was the for, sort of the first time where we had people who were kind of like us that we could watch young people who were into music and the, and the music scene at that time and and fashion and all that crazy kind of stuff. What was that? Fashion television. Oh, remember fashion. Jeannie Becker. Jeannie Becker. Still around. I interviewed her once. She is the coolest person ever and has so many great memories. Everything she says, you're like, yes, yes, I remember that. I remember that. Oh, uh, well, whether it's pop culture or uh, news stories, those events that shaped our lives, what it was like to be in high school in the 80s. You can uh, certainly send us a text anytime at 403-974-8255 on this Flashback Friday, focusing oh. on the 80s. And going back to the 80s is always a great idea. In fact, maybe we should do it every Friday. I don't know. <laughs> I'll talk to the boss.